for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Super excited to kick off this Advent series with your longings. What are you really looking for? At Christmas time, and uh, if you've been around church at all, you kind of know uh, the the weeks of Advent, as as it has been practiced for centuries, are marked by four words: hope, joy, peace, and love. And that's what we're talking about in this, in this series: the four deepest longings that we all have that we believe only Jesus can satisfy. That's where we're headed today. Uh, today, we're going to kick off with hope. I got a question for you right up front. Do you know what you're hoping for for Christmas? Do you? Have you figured out how to let your significant others know that that's what you're looking for for Christmas? I've got a secret plan this year. Uh, I'm that guy in the family that's really hard to buy for because I only have three interests coffee, camping, and coffee. And so last year was coffee for themed Christmas. Uh, and this year, I'm trying to help them think about some camping things they could get me, you know, that might fit the budget. And so I was, what I'm doing, you can't tell my family this is top secret. I'm, I'm posting photos around the house to give them clues as to what they can give me. And here's the one I stuck on the refrigerator uh, that I'm hoping they'll buy me for this year. A new RV. A new RV is what I'm hoping for, yes. Um, and what's really cool about this RV is I can go camping on the moon, apparently, uh, with that. But I'm super do you know what you're hoping for for Christmas? You know, hope's a funny thing. Um, we know that hope is something we can't live without. You and I, as human beings, God has created us to be hopers. You can't get through life without learning how to get through suffering, and you can't get through suffering without learning to hope. It's just how we are. We're all hopers. In fact, one person described it this way. I love this. Uh, human being, uh, a man can live for 40 years, excuse me, 40 days, 40 years, about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but for only a second without hope. This is just true of us as human beings. We are hopers. I am a hoper. You are a hoper. Now, here's the funny thing about life, too. If you live life long enough, eventually you learn, you realize that not all of your hopes and dreams come true. That is unless you're an Alabama football fan and you never lose, which is apparently, right? But uh, the truth is we all experience loss at some point. And I don't know how your 2018 has been. Maybe every dream, every hope you had for 2018 has come true. But chances are, chances are you have had some dreams that just haven't been realized or some hopes or some losses, some things that didn't exactly turn out the way you had hoped. And there's a kind of disappointment and despair that can settle in. Now, hope's a kind of funny thing in this way, too. In our culture, the way we use the word hope is kind of uh, the same thing as to wish, right? We might say, well, you know, is UCLA ever going to be in a bowl game again? Well, I don't know. I hope so, which means never, right? I'm doubting when I say that. That's not actually how the Bible uses the word hope. In fact, the two words in the Bible that get translated hope, elpis in the Greek and tekva in the uh, Hebrew, both of them refer to a confident certainty about the future. It's a really cool kind of word picture. That, that Hebrew word actually literally means a strong braided cord that will not break. To have hope is to lay hold of something with a strong cord that will not disappoint. It will never fail. Which kind of foreshadows Peter's words in his epistle in the New Testament. Peter, one of Jesus' 
best friends. He writes this. He says that we have been given a living hope. Some of your translations will say an eternal hope, a hope that lasts, a hope that endures, a hope that will never fail. So the question is, if that kind of hope is available, how do we lay hold of that? Where do I find a kind of hope that will go the distance? That's what I want to talk about with you today. Now, uh, to do this, I want to go to kind of an unusual place. I want to go to a promise that is given about hope in the Old Testament. Some of you will be familiar with this. Let me read it to you. This is from Jeremiah 29, 11. It goes like this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you what? Hope and a future. Now, if you have heard this verse before, just show of hands. How many of you have heard this verse before? A couple of you? Okay. Yeah, a lot of us have this somewhere in our house, right? Maybe on the wall, or maybe you've got it on a bookmark, or maybe a, a card that you've given to a friend. Uh, th- this sounds really beautiful. But like many of the promises in the Bible, there's a kind of inherent risk in this verse, because we love to just take that one and kind of apply it in, anywhere we like, right? Oh, I've applied that to whatever my hopes are. And we run some risk there. Because that's not exactly how this verse works. In fact, uh, it kind of reminds me of the story of a young man who was looking for some discernment in his life, for, for God's will in his life. Now, he wasn't really into the whole God thing, as he put it, but he had heard that you could do this with the Bible. So he didn't own a Bible. He went into his mom's library, and he found an old dusty Bible, and he, he picked it up, and he, kinda, he brushed it off, and he said, okay, God, whatever your will is for my life, I need you to tell me, show me now. And so he flipped open randomly, and he pointed to a verse And then he read it, and this is the verse that he read. He said, Acts 16, 27, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. What? That's, that's, whoa, okay, well, that must have not worked. Let's try that again. So he folded back up, he flipped open again. This time he came to Luke 10, 37. Now go and do likewise. This is getting worse by the minutes. He said, okay, third time he flipped it open again, tried. Only this time he came to Acts 22, 16, which said, and what are you waiting for? Throwing up his own Hail Mary prayer, he tried one last time, flipped open, and landed on 2 Corinthians 8, 11, which reads, Now you should carry this project through to completion just as enthusiastically as you began it. <laughs> See, something tells us this isn't how the Bible works, is it? And yet we often come to it thinking, well, maybe if I just twist it in the right way, it'll become a nice magic eight ball that'll just, maybe I can just do, or, or a fortune cookie that'll just give me what I want. But as is true of all scriptures, is especially true of Jeremiah 29, 11, context is everything. And so today I want to look at the context that this promise of hope is given and see what we might have to learn about finding a hope that goes the distance, a hope that endures, a hope that will not fail. All right, so uh, with that, let me give us a little bit of background on this verse, and then I'm going to read it to you. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he's writing about 600 years before Jesus is born. Uh, God's people have been living in the promised land. They've been enjoying prosperity and freedom. But now their arch rivals, their enemies to the east, the Babylonians, have come and attacked, and they've utterly sacked the city. They've taken the vast majority of the Israelites, God's people, and they've exiled them. They've taken them back to Babylon to put them in forced labor camps and work as slaves and servants in the Babylonian society. Not exactly what the, Babel, uh, excuse me, what the Israelites had in mind. It is in this context that Jeremiah, God's prophet, writes to them 
about how they should see their situation. Listen to these words. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, sends this message to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food you produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them and have many grandbabies. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for that city where you are held captive. For if Babylon has peace, so will you. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Do not let the prophets and mediums who are there in Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. The truth is that you will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And here's our promise. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me, and I will be found by you. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Boy, now that's quite a story, isn't it? So what I want to do with the few minutes we have remaining is I want to highlight three things that I think we can draw from this about what it means to find a hope that lasts. How we as hopers can find a hope that will go the distance. First thing is this. First thing we learn is this. That hopers, you and me, hopers hope in God's plan, not in their own circumstances. Hopers hope in God's plan, not in their own circumstances. What do I mean? Well, clearly, this is not how the Israelites expected the story to go, right? First of all, they thought when the Babylonians were going to attack, God was just going to kind of wave his hand and like, whoosh, they were going to go to the Babylonians. But of course, that's not how the story went. They lost. And now they've been exiled to Babylon, and they feel like, hey, has God forgotten us? Has God bailed on us? Are are we on his naughty list uh, that he's checked twice and we're never to get back on his good side? Like, what is going on here? Well, it's interesting because Jeremiah tells them that there are some false prophets amongst them who are going to try and give them this pep talk, but it's utter folly. He says, don't listen to the false prophets. They're just telling you that this whole thing is going to pass in a matter of days. But Jeremiah says, the truth is, this exile is going to last for 70 years. Now, this at first seems quite bleak. And I know uh, it's not what you want. God says to them, uh, this is not what you have desired, but do not lose heart. I am still at work. In fact, the overarching theme of this whole passage is that God is at work even when things seem their darkest. Even when things are not going our way, God is still at work. He is still working towards his purpose, his plans, in this specific case, his judgment, his discipline of Israel that we see throughout this whole passage. In fact, it's really, really interesting in some original language in the Hebrew, the emphasis in this promise is on the word I. It's emphasized three times in this one sentence. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. 
Now, here's the problem for me. I don't know about for you, but this little confession moment for me. I like to read this promise and assume that my plans for me are the same as God's plans for me. Can I get an amen, right? For God, you know the plans I have for me, plans for you to prosper me and you not to harm me, you to give me hope in the future. That's how I like to read that. But that's not actually what it says. That kind of reminds me of a story when I was 14 years old. Uh, I was living in Texas, and my family announced to me and my sister, we were going to be moving to Los Angeles. And uh, I was not excited about this at all. I really was not looking forward to moving out there. Uh, And the only thing that kind of gave me hope is I concluded that this was God's way. This was God's plan of making me into a professional beach volleyball player. That, That was my dream. I was going to I was going to you know, live it up. So, so I was convinced. So I actually, now in Texas at my school, they did not have boys volleyball teams. In fact, I do not know of a single high school in Texas that has a boys volleyball team. I don't know why. I guess they're all playing football. But here's the deal. I, I went out and I practiced every day. Now, I had never had any formal training at all. But man, I, my heart was in it. And God was going to make me a famous beach volleyball player. So we go out to California. And here's what you need to know about the school I was getting ready to attend. Arcadia High School had won the CIF, that's the state championship for volleyball, boys varsity, three times in the last 10 years. And I was like, they are so fortunate to have me coming to this school. It's going to be awesome. God's plan right here, right? So you can imagine my shock when day one I showed up to tryouts for, for the volleyball team. I walk in, and there are over 150 boys trying out for five spots. And my heart just sunk. As I watched these guys, I mean, they were my size. They weren't, but I'm not, they would jump. And y'all, I swear their toes were like hitting the bottom of the net. I mean, I was just like, how did they do? And I just watched and I thought, okay, that's a little bit of exaggeration, but you get the idea, right? I mean, I was watching these guys. I thought, I, I'm, that's not me. I'm never going to measure up to that. And I just stood there as my own hope, my own plan for my life that I thought was God's plan just began to crumble in front of me. My head sunk. And I walked out of the gym without ever touching the volleyball. Maybe you've experienced that kind of loss of a dream or loss of a hope that seems to crumble right before you. I'll often hear it said amongst Christians that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you ever heard that? And I think that's true. So long as we also admit that maybe that wonderful plan involves some painful disappointment. God's plan for my life is not my plan. It is not a pain-free, disappointment-free plan. God is up to something deeper. In fact, in my own life, and again, this is confession, maybe this is true of you, God has often used disappointment as the very thing to reveal where I am placing my hope wrongly or the false things that I have put my ultimate hope in that are never going to fulfill it. If my ultimate hope is to be the best preacher in the world, then a be my, well, actually, then when I mess up the baptism questions, it's like go home and fail, right? Just, that's a, if my ultimate hope is in my athletic performance, or in the number of likes on an Instagram post, or in my striking good looks, then one loss, one bad post, or one pimple will send me into despair. If my ultimate hope is in finding my own Prince Harry or my own Christmas Prince or in nailing my fourth quarter sales numbers or in being the boss, then being single or losing my job or not hitting the target will send me into despair. Are these bad desires? No, no. They're good desires. 
but they can never take the place of my ultimate hope. They simply will not endure. When you're searching for a hope that will go the distance, a hope that will last, it begins with honestly coming to terms with the fact that biblical hope has got to be more than just the immediate gratification of my desired circumstances. Life simply doesn't work that way. To search for a hope that goes the distance, you have to come to terms, have to come to grips with disappointment, that some prayers are answered and that some will not be answered the way we wish. To find a hope that will go the distance, you have to believe that God's highest goal in our lives is not necessarily to give us what we want, but to give us himself. That's the first thing we learn about a hope that goes a distance. Hopers hope in God's plan, not in their own circumstances. But the second one builds on it. The second thing we learn is this, that hopers seek God in the midst of their disappointment. I recently read a funny definition of parenting. Let me try this one on you, see if this fits you. Uh, It goes like this. The parenting is the art of disappointing children at a rate that they can handle. (laughs) That's not about right. That is just about right. And though it is a little bit dark, I guess it's a little bit more. here's, Here's the truth that it's tapping into, the very thing we're talking about. One of the things that we learn as we enter into adulthood is that life does not always work out. It's not always that the graph is going up and up and to the right. That is not how life works. So what are we to do in the face of disappointment? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Jeremiah says something to the Israelites in Babylon that we can miss. Actually, he says two things. And the first is this. The first thing he says is, look, guys, I know it's bad. I know this isn't what you wanted, but don't give up. Plant some gardens. Have some babies. Marry those babies off. Have some grandbabies. Can I get an amen, grandparents, right? Have some grandbabies. Try to do some good for the city you're living in because if it does well, then you get to benefit from that too. You're going to be here for the long haul. Make the most of it. Now, that's just good advice whether you're a Christian or not, but that doesn't exactly equal hope, does it? That's just kind of like getting by. That's just like keeping our head above the water. But look at where he goes next in the promise. He says, look, if you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me, and I will be found by you. This is quite a remarkable promise to me. Because what God is saying is that in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of dreams or hopes not real working out, if we can stop and seek him, we will find him right there in the midst of it. Now, this could be, uh, you could be tempted to maybe think, well, is, like, is God being a meanie here? Is he like playing hide and seek? Uh, no, that's not the case at all. In fact, or rather, if it is a game of hide and seek, it's more like the dad with the three-year-old that's like, hiding behind the couch cushion like this, you know, and it's obvious that he's there. God wants to be found. In fact, the Hebrew word here can be tran- for seek can be translated to worship, to pray, to ask. It's the very same idea that Jesus builds on when he says, ask and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Ah, sorry, ask and it will be given you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. God wants to be sought because he loves to be found.
one of the best things you and I can do in the midst of disappointment, when things don't go as we had hoped, is simply to stop, turn to God and ask, God, what are you up to in the midst of my disappointment? You know, one of the fascinating things historically that came out of this whole time uh, was something that emerged amongst the Israelites. Uh, up until this time, the Israelites had understood that God lived in the temple in Jerusalem. So if you wanted to worship God, you had to go to the temple. But now they are hundreds of miles away from the temple in a foreign city, and yet God is telling them to seek him. And so they took him at his word, and in Babylon, they begin to gather in small clusters in homes that would later become the synagogues, literally the house, the homes of worship. In other words, it was kind of the birthplace of the ancient Jewish small group. Isn't that cool? Something about coming together and seeking God, and God met them in the midst of that. You see, what they discovered in their Babylon was that sometimes God does his greatest work when things seem the darkest, if we will but seek him. Hopers hope in God's plan, not their own circumstances. Hopers seek God in the midst of disappointment. And third and finally this, hopers trust. And here's the key. Here's the real core of this hope. You ready? Hopers trust that God will finish what he started. Look at how that promise continues. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me, and I will be found by you. Here he continues. Then I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Question, did God keep that promise? Did God finish what he started? This is so powerful to me, especially if you're not a Bible person. I hope you'll receive this. Here's what we know. The book of Jeremiah was written roughly around the year 610 B.C., before Christ. And then... uh, What we know as a matter of historical record is that roughly 70 years later, in 537 B.C., another empire, the Persian Empire, came and sacked Babylon, just as Babylon had sacked Jerusalem. Only now, King Cyrus is in power, and King Cyrus issues a decree to God's people that allows them, for the first time in 70 years, to return home to Jerusalem begin rebuilding the city and rebuilding the temple and worshiping him in the promised land. So the question, did God keep his promise? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, this is the core of Christian hope that we celebrate at Christmas. That God is good, that God is loving, and that God will always finish what he started. I was thinking about the uh, Christmas story. You know, it's kind of interesting to see how all these Bible things begin to weave together. Uh, Because uh, uh, not that Joseph and Mary were living in exile, but they were living under the heavy hand of a foreign empire. It, It wasn't Babylon, but it was Rome. And they too knew disappointment and despair, dreams that had not been realized, hopes that had, well, kind of been dashed. And yet in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that disappointment, God fulfilled a hope that he had promised thousands of years earlier to Eve and to Sarah, 
to Abraham and to Noah, to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, to Micah, all on down the way for thousands of years. God had been speaking of a time when he would not simply send a letter like Jeremiah into Babylon, but he would send his own son into our Babylon to rescue it, to redeem it, to give his life for it. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God himself has entered into our despair, into our disappointment, to give us hope. And my friend, I don't know what difficulties you have faced this year. Probably many. I was totally overwhelmed this last week praying for our prayer requests that we do every week. And there was one prayer request that came through and it listed the names of three 24-year-olds in our community who have passed away in the last 12 months. And I thought, oh, Lord, this is not how the story's supposed to go. I said, God, how do we hope? How do we hope in the midst of that? And I was reminded, I was reminded that the story is not over. That at Christmas, we look back to the first coming of Jesus, but we also look forward to the second coming. A reminder that he has promised to return and right every wrong and wipe every tear and forgive every sin and heal every wound and mend every relationship and make his entire creation right again. That is his promise and he will finish what he started. That is the hope that we hold on to. That is the cord that does not break. That is the hope that endures, lasts, and will never fail. And as good as all these other hopes are, our dreams are, are all of it, they are good. They can never take the place of the ultimate hope that alone can be found in Jesus. The God who designed you, created you, and sustained you never intended that your heart should live without hope. But sometimes a specific unfulfilled hope might just be the path to a hope that will endure. What if your unfulfilled desire today is really an invitation in disguise to a new kind of hope, a deeper kind of hope, a different, richer, and yes, at times more difficult, but also more wonder-filled hope than you could possibly imagine. What if today God could renew your hope in him and your strength could be renewed also? Let's pray. Father, we come to you again today holding open-handedly the hopes and dreams of this last year. And Lord, many of them you have granted in your kindness and goodness and grace to us, and we thank you for those. But Lord, for many of us, we're also feeling disappointment, maybe even despair today. Lord, would you come by your spirit the way you came in the flesh, Jesus, and would you enter into that place of despair or disappointment in our heart today. By your grace, would you bring mercy and healing and hope? And God, would you teach us what it means to anchor our lives, anchor our souls in this living hope in you, Jesus? Would you make that true of us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.